Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome back. Today's episode is all about regret. For some reason, I thought this episode was going to be easy. Not a big one like vulnerability, shame, or betrayal. But the more I dug into it, the more I started to see just how much regret has to teach us and how much our culture has put an emphasis on living without regrets. Just a simple Google search of quotes about regret and you see famous person after famous person declaring that they have no regrets. And some of them go on to say because everything in their life has made them into who they are. And believe me, I get that because as I started reflecting on my own regrets, I found myself painting the picture in similar ways. But I think it goes beyond that. And that's what we're going to dive into today. And as always, take what works for you. Leave the rest. You are your own guru. All of the answers you seek already live inside of you. And the more that we can identify what we are feeling, the better our life can be. We want to feel good and be in the positive emotions as much as possible. But the reality is our negative emotions are our teachers and regret is one of them. So of course, we're going to start with Atlas of the Heart from Brene Brown and what she says about regret. She says it can range from a mild discomfort to a deep hurt and that we underestimate both in terms of the disconnection and the pain that they can cause within us in our relationships, both disappointment, which we talked about in our last episode, and regret arise when an outcome was not what we wanted, counted on, or what we thought would happen. But with disappointment, we often believe the outcome was out of our control. However, we are learning more that this isn't always the case. But with regret, this is different. With regret, we believe the outcome was caused by our decisions or our actions, or in some cases, our inaction. Research shows us that in the short term, We tend to regret bad outcomes where we took action. However, when we reflect back over the long term, we more often regret the actions we didn't take, what we didn't do, and we think of those as missed opportunities. For example, my husband, Ian, tournament bass fisherman, and in the 19 years we've been together, he has only ever not fished one Bassmaster professional tournament on Oneida Lake. To this day, he regrets it. So when I was starting to do this podcast, I asked him, you know, do you have any regrets? And of course, this is the first thing that comes to mind for him. So he regrets this. He can't even really remember why he didn't fish it. And the interesting thing is, is that all of the others that he has fished and on the occasion, which of course happens, he didn't do well. He doesn't regret that. So he regrets when he didn't enter, but doesn't regret entering and not doing well. I love that. So back in episode nine, all the way back to episode nine, it was about fear. And 
I shared a story about how I crashed a dinner party with my hero, Cheryl Strayed, in 2015. And it's one of my most favorite memories of my entire life. But what I would like to emphasize today about that story and tell it a little differently was this man, George. So I found myself in this position. I knew this dinner party was happening and I had thought that it was going to be a much bigger party. My thought was there was going to be a hundred people and, you know, 10 different tables and Cheryl would just kind of pop down at each table for a few minutes and, and have a quick conversation. But in reality, when I got there without an invitation, my friend had an invitation for the nonprofit that her and I, she was the president and I was the vice president at that time. And so she had gotten the one and only invitation. But I took a chance. I was like, what would Cheryl do? She was my biggest hero. I just wanted to meet her. So I went over to where this was being held at Syracuse University and I walk in and it's a formal, table with people's names on the place cards. I would say maybe like 15 people were invited to this dinner. So it was clearly going to be noticeable if I wasn't invited and didn't have a seat at the table. But I made the decision to stay through this like cocktail hour while everyone's mingling. Cheryl wasn't there yet. And I was just telling everyone about the nonprofit and the work that we did and just saying how much Cheryl and her memoir at that time, Wild, had inspired my life and how much it was just, it really meant to me. And so I'm walking around the room and I'm, I really connect with this man, George, and he's now taken it upon himself to introduce me to everyone else. And he's saying, yeah, she doesn't really, you know, she's meant to be here. He just kept emphasizing that I was meant to be in this room, even though. Technically, I wasn't meant to be there. So I had made a decision with myself that once dinner was to come, if there wasn't a place for me that I would graciously <laughs> sneak out the back door and no one would be, you know, none the wiser. So I'm there, I'm, I'm mingling, and I start to understand that it's not going to be a plated dinner. So I thought that would be an easy way to tell if everyone was there and in the room. But what it was going to be was this tapas style. It was fancy tapas food, but it was like buffet style. So now I had to have another decision to make where everyone was going to be waiting in line. And then once they sat down, I would be able to determine if everyone's, if there were any seats left. So I'm kind of hanging back and I'm like, at this point, I'm like, I just, I don't feel right about this. Like, I, I'm really starting to be like, okay, I've had my fun. I need to leave. Cheryl's in the room now and everyone's lining up to eat. And so I just hang back. Like, I'm going to be the last person in line and that way I can tell. And George is like, absolutely not. He is telling me that I need to be here that I am meant to be in this room. I'm meant to be a part of this. And he's not having it. So he makes me go in front of him. And <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable at this point. And he's just like, nope, she's meant to be here. She's meant to be here. I mean, to the point where it's like, he's going to pull up you know, a chair next to him if he has to. So I go in front of him and start putting food on my plate. 
To which, of course, we discover divinely that there's one seat empty and it's next to this man, George, of course. And so I sit down next to him and he just, you know, continues to laugh. And and eventually when I introduce, we go around the table introducing ourselves and I introduce myself to Cheryl and I say that I wasn't meant to be here, but this was a what would Cheryl do moment, which for me a lot of my inspiration that comes from her is just her ability to feel the fear and do it anyways, do the things that scare you. And so this was a moment for me. And as I started to learn, as we went around the room, all of the people in the room, except my friend and I, who were part of the nonprofit, were authors and writers and they're talking, having this most beautiful conversation. It goes on for hours and hours and hours, and it's just delightful. And now, back in 2015, I never had any desire or indication that I might find myself writing my own memoir, but here I am, 2023, writing a memoir. So back then, I might have paid a little more attention to the questions about writing and how to do these things. So when it finally gets to me and I ask Cheryl a question and I just deeply connect with her as if no one is in the room and I ask her about her mom and what it has meant to her to have these conversations about her mom with strangers and continuing to keep her memory alive. And the whole room changed the entire. And it was like no one was there. It was just like me and Cheryl having this moment. And it was just a really powerful, beautiful moment. So on the way out, we say our goodbyes and George walks, you know, make sure I make it to my car. And he tells me how much it meant that I was there and that I was a part of this conversation and how I changed the energy of this night. And just, it was so beautiful. He was truly such a kind man. And I came to find out I did not know who he was that night until until that night when they did introductions. This was George Saunders, the famous writer. And he wrote The Lincoln and the Bardo and so many other amazing books. And he was just this incredibly kind friend who helped me a total stranger through this moment. And so of course, when Brene Brown in her book referenced him, she references him in her book, Rising Strong, that one of the most powerful lines about regret comes from a speech that George Saunders, he did the 2013 commencement address at Syracuse University. And you can find it on YouTube. I'll link to it below. It's one of the most watched commencement speeches I've ever seen out of Syracuse. It was just a really amazing speech. And George talks about how when he was a child, a young girl was teased at his school. And although he didn't tease her and even defended her a little, he still thought about that moment. He said, so here's something I know to be true. Although it's a little corny and I don't quite know what to do with it. What I regret most in my life are failures of kindness. Those moments when another human being was there in front of me suffering. And I responded sensibly, reservedly, mildly. This is such a reminder of the power of regret. He's speaking of failures of kindness to regret just sitting by, not standing up for someone. 
And the true power of regret is recognizing we have all had failures of kindness, but the power is in acknowledging it and doing better the next time. In Atlas of the Heart, Brene shares that regrets fall into one of six categories, education, career, romance, parenting, self-improvement, and leisure. And we're going to go a little further than this when we get into Daniel Pink, his work. So Brene says, I firmly believe that regret is one of our most powerful emotional reminders that reflection, change, and growth are necessary. In our research, regret emerged as a function of empathy. And when used constructively, it's a call to courage in a path towards wisdom. She went on to say that the idea that regret is a fair but tough teacher can really piss people off. And no regrets has become synonymous with daring and adventure. But I disagree. The idea of no no regrets means living with courage. It means living without reflection. To live without regret is to believe that we have nothing to learn, no amends to make, and no opportunity to be braver with our lives. Reflection is asking the question, what does regret have to teach me? Do you guys remember that movie, We Are the Millers with Jason Sudeikis? And I think it's his, maybe like his daughter's boyfriend who has this giant tattoo that says no regrets and it's spelled R-E-G-R-A-T-S. And Jason is saying to him, you have no regret, like not even a single letter. And I just love that moment because it's this idea. In America, we see it a lot that This idea of no regrets comes from this place of just thinking, be positive, you know, when in reality, positivity is good, but negativity teaches us and makes us better. And what we regret the most are failures of courage. Like George Saunders' story, whether it's the courage to be kinder, to show up, to say how we feel, to set boundaries, to be good to ourselves, to say yes to something scary. We regret not taking chances. And regrets that I've had about this have made me braver in my future choices. We also have regrets about shaming or blaming people. And this has made me more thoughtful. I know I have regrets about gossiping. And when I've had that experience, it's made me more conscious in conversations. And I've learned ways to shut down gossip or simply walk away in the next conversation. So we all do it. We all have these moments. It's just asking ourselves to reflect and do better next time. Brene says sometimes the most uncomfortable learning is the most powerful. Have you heard of this book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, A Life Transformed by the Dearly Departing, and it's by Bronnie Ware. This is a great, really great book. Spoiler alert, I'm going to give you the top five regrets of the dying, but you can definitely read the book to go deeper into it. The first regret is, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And Bronnie says this was the most common regret of all of the dying. When people realize that their life is almost over and they look back clearly on it, it's easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made. It's very important to try and honor at least some of your dreams along the way. 
from the moment you lose your health, it's too late. Health brings us a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. And my best friend, she's told me many times about her father, whom I never had the pleasure to meet, that he regretted never opening a bakery because it wasn't the sensible thing to do, even though he had this incredible passion for baking. This reminds me of my favorite quote by Wayne Dyer, don't die with the music still in you. This is a quote, one of those quotes that I have thought of having tattooed on my body because I love it so much. Don't die with the music still in you. This was him dying with some of his music still inside of him. So I ask myself this question all the time, what music is still inside of me? And right now, I think it's my memoir. I feel this sense of urgency to complete a memoir. And the second regret of the dying is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. So you also have to take into consideration that when she wrote this, the generation of the people that were dying and the age that they were. So Brownie said, this came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret. But as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been the breadwinners. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. By simplifying your lifestyle and making conscious choices along the way, it's possible to not need the income that you think you do. And by creating more space in your life, you become happier and more open to new opportunities. One's more suited to your new lifestyle. I would go on to say, make sure the work that you're doing is fulfilling you. I love my work. And Ian and I have different viewpoints on this. So I'm sharing this knowing that it may not be for everyone. So I'll share both of our points of view. My belief is I need to spend my life doing work that's meaningful, that has purpose, that gives me a sense of fulfillment. I want to make the world a better place. And for him, his sense of fulfillment doesn't come directly from the work he does, but it comes from the income that it brings and what that creates. So his sense of fulfillment comes from being able to provide for me, for us, for our home. But still, there is purpose and fulfillment just in a different way than me. And the third regret of the dying is, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Ronnie said, many people suppressed their feelings in order to keep peace with others. As a result, they settled for a mediocre existence and never became who they were truly capable of becoming. Many developed illnesses relating to the bitterness and resentment that they carried as a result. We cannot control the reactions of others. However, although people may initially react when you change the way you are by speaking honestly, in the end, it raises the relationship to a whole new and healthier level. Either that, or it releases the unhealthy relationship from your life. Either way, you win. And yes, this one's so, so important. Of course, this is the one that I resonate so deeply with. Suppressing our emotions has so many negative effects on our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. It affects our relationships and the people who can't express their emotions with me, their feelings with me, I can only get so close to. So it builds walls. And the fourth regret of the dying is, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. 
Brownie said, often they would not truly realize the full benefits of old friends until their dying weeks. And it wasn't possible, always possible to track them down at that time. Many had become so caught up in their own lives that they had let their golden friendships slip by over the years. There were many deep regrets about not giving friendships the time and effort that they deserved. Everyone misses their friends when they're dying. It's common for anyone in a busy lifestyle to let friendships slip, but when you're faced with your approaching death, the physical details of life fall away. People don't want to get their financial, they do want to get their financial affairs in order if possible, but it's not money or status that holds the true importance for them. They want to get things in order more for the benefit of those they love. Usually, though, they're too ill and too weary to ever manage the task. It all comes down to love and relationships in the end. That's all that remains in the final weeks, love and relationships. So what I would say is make time for your friends, for your relationships. Spend time with those you love and tell them how you feel about them. Don't let anything go unsaid. I had such a peace when my grandma passed away because there was nothing left unsaid between us. I knew just how much she loved me and she knew how much I loved her. Now, this isn't the case with my mom. If she was to die today, there's so much left unsaid between us and I hate that. And like I've said over and over again on this podcast, I too am a work in progress. I am going through this with you as well. So make time for your friends, for your relationships. Spend time with those you love and tell them how you feel about them. Don't let anything go unsaid. I had such peace when my grandma passed away because there was nothing left unsaid between us. I knew how much she loved me and she knew how much I loved her. If my mom was to die today, that wouldn't be the case. There's so much left unsaid between the two of us. And I hate that. And like I've said over and over again on this podcast, I too am a work in progress. I too am just figuring this out as I go. And the last regret of the dying, number five, is I wish I had let myself be happier. Brownie said, this is a surprisingly common one. Many didn't realize until the end that happiness is a choice. They had stayed stuck in old patterns and habits the so-called comfort of familiarity overflowed into their emotions as well as their physical lives. Fear of change had them pretending to others and to themselves that they were content. When deep within, they longed to laugh properly and have silliness in their life again. When you're on your deathbed, what others think of you is a long way from your mind. How wonderful to be able to let go and smile again long before you were dying. Life is a choice. It's your life. Choose consciously. Choose wisely. Choose honestly. Choose happiness. What I love most about this one is, even though it's about choosing happiness, Bronnie shares that what prevented people from this kind of happiness, this kind of freedom was staying stuck in old patterns, old habits, old ways of thinking. So many of us will get to our deathbeds and we haven't changed or grown in the ways we could have. This makes me so sad, but if you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing that growth is important to you. Letting go of what no longer serves us is the path to happiness, the real, true happiness. And now I want to share from the book, The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward by Daniel H. Pink. 
And I reference a podcast between Brene Brown and Dan Pink on her Dare to Lead podcast, which I'll, of course, link to in the show notes, and then research from his book. So he created the World Regret Survey where he invited people around the world to submit their regrets. 16,000 regrets came in, to which, of course, he read them all. They came in from 105 different countries. He first set out to categorize them like in career, finance, health, romance, similar to what Brene had been saying. He found over and over was the world kept, people kept expressing the same four regrets. And these four regrets had nothing to do with the actual domain of life that they fell into, health, finances, whatever. They had to do with something deeper. And here's how he went deeper. So here's the regret. People who went to college, especially Americans, and did not study abroad now regret it. Here's another regret. Ten years ago, you met a person that you liked and you wanted to ask him or her out, but just didn't because you were too chicken. You regret it. You stay in a lackluster job when you really wanted to start a business, but just didn't have the guts to do it. Regret. All three of these regrets are the same. They're just in different areas of our life, education, career, romance. The regret is if I had only taken the chance. What they regret is failures of boldness. Daniel says, over time, people regret what they didn't do more than what they did do. Regrets of inaction are far more common than regrets of action. And this is true, especially as people age. One of the things that's interesting and the demographic differences is from his research. At age 20, people have about the same number of action regrets and inaction regrets. But as they age, it's all about inaction regrets. So we end up regretting what we didn't do. And many of our omissions are omissions about boldness, omissions about taking the chance We find ourselves in so many cases in life at junctures. At this particular juncture, I can play it safe or I can take the chance. You can play it safe or take the chance. And overwhelmingly, people regret playing it safe more than taking the chance, even when the chance doesn't work out. How this shows up for me was when we were building our house. A little over 13 years ago, I was still really struggling with my health. I had experienced this massive medical trauma from a surgeon who removed body parts during an exploratory surgery and then lied about it. I was sick. I was scared for so long. And because it was impacting my gut health, I felt like my days of traveling the world were over, that I would need to always work from home and just be home. Traveling can be extra challenging with gut issues. So I made the decision to build our dream home. This decision was partly made out of fear. Rather than the belief that I could get better, I believed I would be sick forever. And so why not make my home and work a place that I would just love to be in? So Ian and I started building our dream home and it's gorgeous. It's magical. It's all of the things. And I love it very much. But over these last years, It stretched us so much financially, which when I did start to heal myself and started to have the desire to travel again, I didn't have the financial means to do so because of the cost of the house. 
So regret is me being able to look back on that decision and understand why I made it in the first place and be able to make a better decision in the future. I now recognize how important travel and adventure is to my husband and to me, and we're working towards making that more of a priority in our lives. This is the power of regret. Yesterday was his 40th birthday, and instead of buying him things, I came up with four different experiences we're going to have over the next year. One of them is going to the Bruce Springsteen concert and One of them is going to a New York Giants football game, his favorite team. So that's what we're making a priority in our lives now is not things, but is experiences. Another big regret of many is the regret that I didn't speak up. I regret that I hadn't spoken up when I needed to, or I regret I didn't use my voice All of these regrets about people not being bold and simply saying something and asserting themselves and expressing themselves. This might be the biggest regret of my life. When I was experiencing my stomach illness that originally brought me to the hospital in the first place all those years ago, as the surgeon was wheeling me into the operating room, I had an intuitive knowing. I knew in that moment I didn't have Crohn's disease and I didn't need the surgery I was about to go into. I spoke up. So I did speak up in that moment. I spoke up to the surgeon and I told him, I don't think I have Crohn's. And his reply to me was, well, it's an exploratory surgery. I'm just going in to look around. And in that moment, I, the 22-year-old scared girl in a hospital bed, handed my power over to the doctor who, with all of his certifications and schooling, must know better than me about my own body. So yes, I can sit here and I can say I'm grateful for that experience because it dramatically changed my life. Overnight, it changed my life. It has shaped who I am. It's made me into who I am. It's given me a deep sense of empathy and this desire to help others. But I do regret not speaking loud or not stopping the surgery, especially now as I struggle to conceive and I know a part of the problem must be from the ramifications of that surgery. Daniel Pink talks about that all of these regrets, that they can fall into these four different core regrets. So rather than, you know, labeling them as about our finances or education or relationships, They fall into these different four core regrets. The first is foundation regrets. So these are regrets where people regret not saving enough money, not taking care of their health, not eating right, not working hard in school. So how you can tell you have one of these is if you think to yourself, if only I had done the work, then there's boldness regrets. I didn't ask so-and-so on a date. I always wanted to start a business, but I never had the guts to. I wish I had spoken up more. We can get to a juncture and we can play it safe or take a chance. So the language for this one is, if only I had taken the chance. Then there's moral regrets. You can do the right thing or the wrong thing. There's a juncture, like stealing candy from a store, infidelity. The language here is, if only I had done the right thing. And then there's connection regrets. Kids, parents, cousins, siblings, colleagues, the relationship, some relationship in your life comes apart by drifting apart rather than some explosive rift. 
people then don't want to reach out because it's going to be awkward. The language here is, if only I had reached out. So all of your regrets are going to fall into this language. If only I had done the work. If only I had taken the chance. If only I had done the right thing. If only I had reached out. And if we understand what people regret the most, we can see what they value the most. We want stability. We want a life where we take a few risks. We want a life where you're doing the right thing, a life where you have people that you love in your life. And Daniel Pink shares this really important process about how we process our own regrets. So one of the dimensions by which we process our own regret is when we disclose them. Disclosure is an unburdening. Disclosure is also a form of sense-making. And when we convert these negative emotions to concrete words, it defangs them. It helps us make sense of them. And Sonia Lubomirinsky has some brilliant research showing that when we write about our negative experiences, we feel better. But get this, when we write about our positive experiences, we actually feel worse. Well, why? Because we lose the thrill and the mystery. So for negative experiences, disclosing them and unburdening them makes sense. But here's the thing. Our fear is that when we disclose our failures, so when we share our failures, our setbacks, our missteps of our own, we think people will like us less And the evidence is overwhelming that actually when we disclose these things, people like us more. Vulnerability is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It doesn't make us less. It makes us more. And that's true with regret. So one of the other parts that we need to do beyond the disclosure is We need to reframe how we think about ourselves through self-compassion, which is the work of Kristen Neff. Kristen Neff says self-compassion has three elements, self-kindness instead of self-judgment. So if this is about regret, we need to understand ourselves and love ourselves when we fail, when we make a mistake. So giving ourselves kindness. The other one is common humanity versus isolation. So if we have a big regret in our lives, we need to recognize that suffering is a part of the human experience. We all go through stuff. We all have regrets versus thinking, I'm the only one who's ever done this thing. And then the last one is mindfulness versus over-identification. So we need to observe the feelings without trying to suppress or deny them and not judge them. When people have negative emotions, they think there's something wrong with them, when in fact everybody has negative emotions, and the most common negative emotion of all is regret. The only people without regrets are five-year-olds because their brains haven't developed the dexterity to process regret. And when kids are finally able to process regret, it's not until they're seven or eight and also sociopaths. So people who are sociopaths don't have regrets. Regret is not dangerous or abnormal. It's healthy and universal. It's integral part of being human. And it's also valuable. It can help clarify. It instructs us. And done right, it doesn't drag us down. It can actually lift us up. It teaches us, but only if we are open to the teaching. And the problem is, is regret also hurts a little bit. It hurts and it teaches, but you can't just have one. 
research from the 80s shows that in conversation, the negative emotion that they express the most is regret. And the second most common emotion of any kind is regret. And the only thing mentioned more often than regret is love. So let's talk about our egos and regret. Our ego likes to tell us we're the only one. We're separate. We're special. So when we experience regret, our ego can send us down the path of thinking, I must be the only one who's ever had a failure of kindness. I must be the only one. I'm so unique and special. I'm the only one who's had a failure of courage. And because this is such a threat to our ego, we bat it away. We suppress it. We deny it. We hold fast to the notion of living with no regrets. That's not good. So the antidote to this, of course, is self-compassion. It's the disclosure and self-compassion, recognizing that you're not special. Your experiences often are not wildly different from other people's experiences. That's where the common humanity comes in. And if you say, you know what, maybe being unkind is a part of the human condition occasionally. Maybe it's part of the broader human experience. Maybe you're like other people and what you should do is just treat yourself with kindness and try to extract a lesson from it rather than protect your ego. And of course, this is how regret can lead us to shame. Regret can slide its way into shame. And so shame needs three things to grow exponentially, secrecy, silence, and judgment. And so if we keep our regrets in secrecy, silence, and we judge ourselves for them, this is how it can get into shame. So once again, solution, self-compassion, and disclosure. Talk about your regret with someone. Recognize you're not alone, that we all have regrets. And it's when we keep them in the dark in a secret for so long that that's when it turns into shame. So six key takeaways from Daniel Pink's book, The Power of Regret, are You cannot escape negative emotions by suppressing them. You can't. This is what we talk about on here all the time. You have to actually feel the feelings. Reframe regret as an opportunity rather than a threat. So ask yourself, what can you learn from it? What can it teach you? The third one is allow yourself to feel bad so you can do better. Let it help you make a better decision in the future. So don't avoid feeling the uncomfortable feelings. Feel the feeling and then help it shape your future. The fourth one is practice self-disclosure to experience relief. So just tell someone. It'll help you realize you're not alone, that we all have regrets. The fifth one, make self-compassion a part of your life. So that's Kristen Neff's work. And then don't overdo regret too much can harm you. So yeah, you can get stuck in regret and ruminate for years and years and years. Don't ruminate. Tell somebody about it. Give yourself that self-compassion and let it go and make a better decision next time. Make the most of your regrets. This is one of my favorite quotes from Henry David Thoreau. Make the most of your regrets. Never smother your sorrow, but tend and cherish it until it comes To have a separate and integral twist. To regret deeply is to live afresh. That's Henry David Thoreau. And I want to leave you with a poem. This is from Morgan Harper Nichols. She has the most amazing Instagram ever. She's an artist as well, so it's beautiful. This is called Facing Regret. 
I think one of the heaviest burdens of human imagination might be the ability to have hindsight. After it's all over, past events start to seem a lot more predictable than they actually were. In full color, we start to see what life would have looked like if we had only known what was going to happen. When we look back, we can pinpoint the conversations that should have shown us the clues. We can feel the weight of the actions that should have been a big hint. We tell ourselves, if only I had known. If only I had known. I do not know where in your life regret seems to scream the loudest. But I do hope that whenever you find yourself looking back into the tunnel that echoes the dissonance of the past, decisions hastily made, and good things that didn't last, I hope you are able to hear the music in your other ear, even if it plays softly and you can barely hear it through the noise. I hope you remember even here there is room for other tunes. The past may not change, but at the same time, the present moment is calling you to be gentle with yourself as you learn to allow your imagination to play the notes of an all-new song. That is Morgan Harper Nichols. I will include it in the show notes. And she said about this piece that she wanted to share regret as something more than a final point but an invitation to see the past in a different way. So when the dissonance of regret rings loudly in the ear, perhaps with grace, time, and practice, one can begin to hear the music in the other ear. So that's it for today's podcast about regrets. And I hope you're able to take something from this and apply it to your life. That's why we're diving deeper into each and every one of these emotions. On the next episode, we're going to finish up with chapter three. And now go be brave enough in the world. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's Voices Amplified.